Welcome to the Fulfillment Project Podcast. I'm your host, Simply Sarah, and I'm so glad that we've connected here today. I've created a series called Life Chats. This is a four-part series of each of my amazing guests as I take you on a journey through their awakening process. My aim and goal for this show is to give you, the seeker, a container to explore your own growth as you awaken and step into more alignment, more joy, and more fulfillment every single day. Welcome back to the Fulfillment Project Life Chat Series. Emma, welcome back for part three. Thank you for having me. Yes, we had a juicy part one and part two. If you haven't watched or listened to it, go back. We are talking all about toxic relationships, recovering from it. Emma went through what we have labeled as a catastrophic breakup back in 2019, uh, where her entire relationship of what she thought it was really wasn't. And there was a lot of lying and deception uh, and her coming out of that and breaking down patterns. And I condone you so much, Emma, for actually recognizing your, I'll say, uh, part oh. in it. I, I was going to say fault, but you know, your, your part yeah. in this, because there are, there are always two dynamics to every situation that manifests. Right. I, I, you know, coming out of that, it was like, it was like being, hit by a train of realization, like I'm the common denominator. You know, why have so many of my relationships been like this? I'm the common denominator. I'm the consistent factor in all of these relationships. So what am I doing yes. to contribute to this? Yeah. And yeah. that's such a, a mature, wise uh, perspective to look at, because if we want change, we need to look at our part in it. And that, you know, we're going to chat about that in this episode of you starting to date again and what that was like and what you were looking out for. And you're in a, an incredible relationship right now that we want to talk about, which is completely different and, and how you went about that. Because I'm sure there's so many women who are watching or listening here who maybe have been through a bad breakup or they're recognizing the same pattern that they're in with relationships. And a lot of the times we're like, oh, I'll just get rid of them because they're the problem. Right. But yeah, we take, exactly. I take me with you, you take right. Emma with you. Yeah. And there are dynamics to that, that you can, that we all, all contribute to every situation that we're in. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it's so important to, um, we can't change other people, mm. right? That's, that's really what a major realization that I've come you know, no matter how much we do for them, no matter how much we try to guide them, whatever, we can't change other people. It's up to them to put in the work and, and make changes if, if they even realize that changes need to be made. So ultimately, like all we can really do is focus on ourselves and, you know, um, really assess like why we make the choices that we make and what that leads to and where that's coming from. Mm -hmm. yeah. Even through your breakup, I, I learned a lot. It made me look at different aspects of my relationship, but I can say my relationship with Joe even grew from watching what you yeah. went through. And one of the things that I really recognized with you, and I know you had this realization as well, is like, we teach people how to love us. Yes, absolutely. We set our own boundaries, whether yes. you realize it or not. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was all part one. We were breaking down um, what went on there. Uh, part two, we were chatting about, you know, you took a year off, you had therapy, you gave yourself a lot of space that that healing time to step away, recognize the things that you needed to change. Now let's talk about dating again. Yeah. And so getting back into dating, I know there was there was some fear. Because you saw oh, right. how how you played out the last few relationships of yourself. You knew that you had done some work. But right. what was that like knowing that you wanted to get, I'll say, like back into the dating game? Uh, scary. <laughs> so, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, I, I was really, um, 
I was afraid of like falling back into another relationship. And, you know, prior to my, my last ex that we spoke about my relationship prior had similar, you know, like talking points was almost like point for point the same, even though they were very different people, um, things kind of fell apart in the same way. There were similar, um, mismatches and dynamic and, um, imbalances in the relationship. So, you know, after that first, I would say relationship fell apart, I was only single for like three months. Like I, I had been ready to move on for a while. Like that relationship was kind of, um, dying slowly. And I, I saw that. Um, so I didn't allow myself to be like single for very long and really internalize what I had learned, if anything. And, and quite frankly, at that time, like I didn't, I didn't really see as much of my own part in it. Like I, it wasn't as obvious to me that I had made choices to be with this person and choices to allow them to treat me like this and, you know, all that. So I, you know, when I was single for like three months and then fell back into another relationship and just immediately repeated all of the exact same mistakes all over again. You know, I was like head over heels. So I'm like benefit of the doubt. You know, it, it, it was, I look back now and I'm like, geez, like, what was I just like, what was I thinking? It's, it's interesting because I wasn't thinking. Yeah. There's that phrase, love is blind, which is very common. I'm, I, I think a lot right. of people have heard of that, but I also believe lust is very blind as well. Oh yeah. That, that feeling of limerence at the beginning of a relationship or everything. I mean, realistically, what we're talking about is, is dopamine, like you're high that's why it feels so good. It's the same thing as being on a great drug, you know? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. So I was very, um, I was nervous to step back into the dating scene. I, I was not, I knew that I didn't want anything serious for a while, but at the same time, it was almost like I had to test what I had learned so far. So I had to like, I don't want to say like use dating like a testing ground, but it sounds so cold. I, I love meeting people. I love hanging out with people. It's one of the things I really enjoy about my business is meeting new people. So from that aspect, like it was cool to like meet new people and, you know, really like check in with what I was feeling in my gut, because that's something that I had ignored for so long. You know, I didn't, I didn't value what my gut was telling me for so long, red flags, whatever. So I would go on dates and, and have a great time. Like I didn't have any bad dates, thankfully. I mean, I didn't really date like that much, um, but, you know, had a good time, but I would check in with myself after, like, what's the energy that I'm sensing here? What's my gut telling me? Um, you know, that sort of thing. And I, I came along some people that were like more needy, which is fine. You know, some people need more support and whatever, but to me, that was like, run! <laughs> Yeah. Because past Emma would have like been all over that. Like, please let me help you with everything and just be your mom. Please yeah. let me mother you, <laughs> you know? So that was, I knew that that was a bad match for me because I didn't have great boundaries with that in the past. So to me, that was a big red flag. It was almost like less to do with them and more to do with me. Like it would bring out bad patterns in me to be with somebody like that. So it, um, it really, it really helped me, you know, I, I guess get a lay of the land and also it, use it like a mirror to myself. Like, what am I feeling here? Why is this good? Why is this bad? Why am I feeling this? You know, really, really take a conscious approach, um, and actually value what my gut was saying. Yeah. Yeah. Cause we can do 
the first step to change is awareness, but right. without making a different decision in the moment, change never happens. Right. So yeah. we can have all this awareness, but you're, yeah, like what you said, you're really put to the test when you're like right. in the arena, what am yeah. I seeing? What am I sensing? What's happening here? Yeah. And I think yeah. that was just so wise to check in with yourself. Yeah. I, you know, it's funny. Cause um, I, I think I mentioned it in one of the previous episodes where I, I spoke to that numerologist went in with no expectations, like what's, what's going to come of this. And <laughs> at one point without knowing me like at all, she was like, if I put you in a room full of men, you'll choose the broken one. So that stuck with me. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I, I have this thing with my ego where I have to feel like I'm responsible for bringing someone up, for fixing them, for being, you know, so important to them that their life changes. Like what is, where is that coming from? You know? Yeah. So going into dating was, I tried to be more conscious, more aware did you also feel like you didn't know what you were looking for because of all the past patterns? If we don't yes. know anything different, we don't know what right. we're looking for. And if we're used yes. to, I'll use the word toxicity within a relationship, sometimes we don't know, okay, well, what is the opposite of toxicity? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't know what healthy love really felt like. All of my relationships had an element of toxicity to them. Granted, I didn't have a lot of relationships. I'm like, a serial monogamous is what I, what I jokingly called it. Like my first relationship ever out of high school was seven years long. You know, it lasted until the end of my undergraduate. And then my second relationship was five years and then four years. So I, I did not have a lot of experience actually like dating or just being by myself, mm-hmm. like being single in some capacity, learn who am I outside of a relationship. Do you think you stayed in those relationships so long because they were feeding your wounds as well? And, you know, I guess meeting that trauma bond that we talked about in the past episodes. Absolutely. Yeah. They were, they were meeting or the wounds matched in -hmm. some ways. Um, And also, you know, I had some like poor boundaries. Like I had one ex who, well, two of really that were extremely insecure and jealous. And I mean, like controlling to the point of control. And to me, I, you know, I give the benefit of the doubt to people like, oh, they're like this because of X, Y, and Z. Not like this is unacceptable behavior. It's like, Mm -hmm. they're just broken. You know, I have a big heart for people. I see, you have a lot of empathy and I see that no one person is all good or all bad. There's so much that plays into that. So yeah, I definitely, I definitely think it fed into my wounds and my ego. Yeah. As well. Yeah. And when you don't know that healthy, stable love, you don't know what's what's wrong. Mm-hmm. And you look back on those past relationships and like it wasn't all bad. And so no, when it was really good, not. it was really good. And when it was really bad, it was really bad. And so you right. give them the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, exactly. And like in in those relationships, I mean, if I think if the scale had tipped to it was being mostly bad with some good, hopefully I would have clued in, but that wasn't the case. Like things were mostly good, but when they were bad, they were not good. But yeah. So you, you, you cling on to those good times um, and, and give people the benefit of the doubt. At least I did. Yeah. I've also seen, I know we've talked about this um, off air as well about seeing the potential in someone too much or even reminiscing on how it was so good at the beginning, which was just a lot of dopamine and a lot of hormones flying in that, that lust period. And so it's like, we fixate on that moment and we're like, well, this is who they are, that that concept you've had in their mind without actually seeing 
what they've become or the, the right. mask that they've taken off. Yeah, I, I definitely have a habit of falling in love with people's potential, what I see in them. You could you could do so much if you only did these things. Let me help you. Yes. Let me help you, you know, reach that potential that I see in you. That was definitely a, a trend in all of my relationships. Yeah, all of them. And now it's a matter of like being conscious. Like I can't fall in love with a CV. I have to see, you know, change or like action in the moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you have a healthy, stable relationship now. You two have been together for just over two years. Let us know what that was like meeting him and, you know, those first few months of dating. Right. So uh, we met online. Who doesn't anymore (laughs) these days? And, um, I was curious about him. We started talking and my goodness, this man could formulate entire paragraphs of sentences that were coherent and interesting, you know? So that, that was really the first thing that kind of drew me in. It was like, wow, he's very good at expressing himself. We um, spoke very candidly or at least, you know, I spoke very candidly at the beginning, like I'm not interested in anything serious. I'm just kind of interested in meeting people and, you know, really what was my ultimate goal at the time was really just meeting people and and seeing how that worked out, Um, learning more about people, people studying in a way. Um, So I wasn't interested in anything serious, but at the same time, like I I was curious about him. I was intrigued. So we met right before uh, the first lockdown. (laughs) We met online and our first date had to be canceled because, um, like the restaurants closed and all that. So I'm like, okay, well, you love soccer. And I used to play soccer as a kid. Why don't we go like kick a ball around and have some fun? So our first day we met up to play one-on-one soccer, (laughs) which I think is so adorable. We still play soccer all the time. Um, So that's been like an ongoing thing. But anyway, so we met, had a really, really fun time. Um, I was a little bit smitten, you know, like, oh, this is like a really interesting guy, very intelligent kind of, um, I had, like, there's a sense of intrigue there. There, And also part of that too was, you know, he didn't just like lay it all out. Mm. Like, here's everything about me and everything you need to know. And here are my wounds. Do your wounds match mine? (laughs) You know, there was like, there was none of that. Um, So that I also found very curious. I'm like, I want to learn more about this person. So it was, you know, we talked actually to this day, I think we've like spoken every day, even if we don't see each other, we don't live together yet. Um, but yeah, so it was just, it was very, it was very different from the beginning. And as you know, our, our relationship progressed and I didn't want to call it a relationship for a good, almost two months. Like I, I I told him like, I'm not interested in anything serious. Like I don't want to fall into another relationship after, you know, everything I've just been through and whatnot. And I realized at about like the six week mark that that was like that huge fear was really that I was afraid of losing myself Mm. because I I thought I had learned so much in this year of being single and therapy and and what have you, spiritual growth, personal growth, everything. I felt like I learned so much. I didn't want to screw it up, you know? So I, I felt this fear of like, if we call this a relationship, like, there goes this Emma that thinks she's learned everything. And I'm just going to fall back into the same patterns and I'm going to lose myself and, you know, drain my capacity and not have time for me anymore. And like, I I didn't realize that that's really why I was scared of calling it a relationship. I just thought, Oh, I just want to have fun. It's like, no, there was, there was an underlying fear there that was all on me. 
And he was super respectful and did not, did not even bring it up for like weeks and weeks. And it was about the, like I said, five, six week mark where I started realizing like, we see each other like all the time. We talk every day. Things are lovely. I don't feel like I've been consumed by another person or, or rather, I don't feel like I've allowed myself to like lose boundaries and lose my sense of self. So what's the problem here? Like, why, why am I so scared of calling this a relationship? Like we've been in a relationship with no label since day one. So I was talking to our our friend, Claudia, and it hit me during our conversation. Like I have been in a relationship. (laughs) Like I've just been kidding myself. So it was just after my birthday that he was like, you know, I know you didn't want anything serious, but I was hoping that, you know, we could maybe consider it. And I told him, it's like funny that you mentioned that because just last week I came to the realization that we have been in a relationship. So I was like, let's put a label on it and see what happens. I think there's something so beautiful and valuable about not pressing to put a label on it. Right. Because when you put a label on it, you're trying to maybe define something that you're trying to make something. You're trying to create some security within your own mind by labeling something. Uh, Right. That's true. Yeah. So it was interesting to be in that situation, especially as somebody who has been in very like, what would you call it? Um, Relationships that started very quickly you know, and lasted a very long time without any sort of real, like getting to know you time before that, you know, like just, just flying by the seat of my limerent pants. Like that's that's how that was. So it was very interesting, you know, being in a situation where I was consciously trying to get to know someone and also, um, stay in my own lane. (laughs) Mm -hmm. The best way to put it, you know, I, I know I have this habit of trying to do things for other people to the point of, of, putting myself last. And, you know, that's something that I've really learned about myself. So being with somebody and allowing them to do things for me, allowing them to do things for themselves. Um, I honestly think my partner would not be interested in being with somebody who was like overbearing, yeah. you know? So it's, it's very interesting that I'm, I'm with somebody that brings out this other side of me now and is allowing me to like learn how to receive And also in that way, kind of like showing me a mirror of my subconscious and like where, where all my patterns have, have come from, you know, patterns that you you don't even realize. Yeah. Also being a mirror to what you're ready for. Yeah. If you say, you know, I probably would not have attracted him. I I wouldn't have been with him if I was past Emma. Oh, absolutely. Like, oh, I need to find somebody who needs me. That would have been past Emma, you know, like, oh, this person's got to figure it out. They don't need me. Like, what? Hello, fellow seeker, Sarah here. I want to jump into the middle of this episode to bring your awareness to my program, The Upgrade. This is a six-week program that I developed for you to have self-exploration and awakening. It is an immersive transformation program that pairs a three-day in-person retreat at a location within Ontario, Canada. If you're looking for community and if you're looking for a container for growth, this is why I've created this. I have taken so many tools and modalities that I've used along my own journey 
journey and helped many friends and clients as well go through an upgrade process. At the retreat, we are going to be doing a shamanic ceremony and going to explore some different plant medicines that you're able to use to explore and expand your consciousness. Deep dive into your subconscious, start to rewrite those beliefs and stories that are no longer serving you for this next level of your life. If this piques your curiosity, you can grab the link in the show notes at my website, simplysarah.com. In the navigation, you'll see the upgrade. And perhaps this is a part of your journey this year. What has that been like to redefine your value? Of self? Of, uh, yeah, of being in a relationship. It's been a process. Like it, it's been confusing at times. I remember like earlier on thinking like, who am I in a relationship if I'm not the person who's doing everything for the other person and, you know, taking care of everything for the other person? Like who, what role do I have in a relationship? And eventually it hit me. The answer was very simple. My role is just to be myself. Like what? Mind blown. Yeah. Like, oh, I could just be me. And that's actually that's something that I realized a, a little bit further into our relationship. Because those first few months of like, you know, getting to know each other and learning what a healthy relationship feels like was very weird for me. What there's no drama. I'm not anxious about you know walking on eggshells. I'm not, what is this? Is this what a healthy relationship feels like? I literally had no clue. I had never been with someone like that, like where there was just no toxicity in any way. I remember you even telling me, you're like, I feel like I'm waiting for the shoot, the other shoe to drop, but yet I feel like this feels good. It's you're, you're in an uncharted territory of different energy. Yeah, exactly. Oh, you, I totally forgot about that. I did feel like I was waiting for some kind of big revelation of like, well, you know, it can't possibly be this healthy. You're like too good to be true. Uh, But it's interesting, those those self-sabotaging narratives that come into our head when we're used to something that was so toxic or drama-filled or such spiked emotions all the time. When there's that very neutral, calm, open, expansive, loving energy that that healthy stability, it's almost like our nervous system doesn't know how to react in that situation. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I I didn't know what to make of things. It was completely, you know, there's, there's a concept in um, psychology called schemas. It's basically your way of grouping or organizing your reality, right? So we have these schemas and like what a relationship should look like and what our work life should look like, what our friendships should look like, you know, what the world is. We kind of like to, as humans, put things into categories and boxes. And we have like pre-existing categories and boxes based on what we've experienced growing up. Well, if you've never experienced a healthy relationship, you have no box to put that in. So that's what it felt like. I'm like, I, this doesn't fit into any boxes that I've experienced of what a relationship should be like, should feel like all these things. So I had a lot of questions like, is this normal? Is, is it normal to like not feel this weird anxiety at the beginning of a relationship or to have a a relationship, um, that deepens more gradually because you're not bonding over trauma and wounds, you know, your wounds aren't feeding into each other. So actually getting to know somebody takes a lot longer when you're not just like laying it all out on the table and like, here's 
you know, let's, let's make sure our wounds match before we proceed, you know? So I didn't have a box to like put this in and it was like really confusing. Mm -hmm. It was, it's, and it's funny looking back now, because now that I've like learned so much and it's been a couple of years, it's just, this feels normal now. Like I can't imagine being in relationships like the ones I'd had prior, you know, I've created a box. I get it now. You know, I see what this is. Yeah. Yeah. Does that help you really understand that you create your own reality? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I 100% created my own reality. You know, or I was running on autopilot based on programming from childhood. And, you know, that programming is, um, I think it's meant to be protective. Like you, you get sideswiped in childhood. You, you know, you get hurt from friends or family or whatever, and you develop programming that's meant to protect you in some way or to um, feed your sense of self, your ego, you know? So while, while that programming is meant to be protective, it often is maladaptive. Mm-hmm. You're, you're playing things out in a way where like on the surface, this should help me, but it really doesn't. Yes. You know, in, in a lot of cases, it really doesn't. I would say most of us have maladaptive programming that we have to like shed a light on and actually become aware of. Yeah. Yeah. Do you see a correlation from, and we don't need to go in depth, but from the dynamic of the relationship with your parents and what you took on from that? Oh, absolutely. My parents are amazing. Like we, we came to this country, um, when I was a kid and that was not without difficulty, you know, there were mental health issues, there were struggles, there were financial struggles. Um, there were financial successes too. There were all these things, but you know, how it, how it all, um, played out in my childhood. Like, you know, you look back at your childhood and you think of it almost like a story with chapters, you know, how it all played out really, um, shaped me into who I am today. Like I was exceptionally frugal for so long because of growing up first having quite a lot of money and then not having that much money and then all the bills and whatever, like that played into my like extreme frugality. Like you met me when I was like <laughs> embarrassingly frugal. I think you were sewing <laughs> holes in socks when I met you. Okay. I still do that because we shouldn't be so wasteful in our culture. <laughs> oh, I love you. <laughs> I was washing plastic bags before it was cool. We had a plastic crisis. Okay. I still do that though, for that reason. Um, but yeah, like I, I had a hard time, you know, spending money because there was so much fear in that. And then like relationship dynamics. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I think I, as a kid felt a sense of failure for like not being able to help more in my family and, and to alleviate the stresses and to alleviate, you know, the pain and and all that. So I think I grew up playing out this need to almost like atone for my guilt of not being able to do that as a child. Mm -hmm. So I I went into relationships, like, let me help, let me do everything, whatever. Um, because I wasn't able to do that as a kid. Like, I think that's definitely an element of it. I think another aspect that plays into it for me is a sense of perfectionism. You know, I, I received a lot of praise as a child from like teachers and parents and family friends for being very good at school and being like the perfect student, the perfect this and the perfect that. So that kind of lent itself to my relationships of like, I need to do this for the other person because if I let them do it, it won't be perfect. I'll do a better job and then things will be calm and there won't be any messes to fix. 
And if I just step in and, and do it myself. So there was that element too. Like, I think it's never necessarily one thing. It's like an interplay of like personality traits, dynamics, experiences growing up. Yeah. And then if we don't take the time to ask ourselves the hard questions and have the awareness and recognize what we're playing out or the patterns that are in our life and yeah. doing the work, nothing ever changes. We, we yeah. can want a desire. We can want to change, but, but we need to change first. Right. Absolutely. And so much of that is really, it, it honestly, and to this day, like as, as we've talked about, like the work never finishes. Yeah. We're constantly doing work. Yes. And to this day, still things will, you know, come up once in a while, like, Oh, that's a, that's some baggage. Like, where did that come from? What, what yeah. was that all about? Yeah. So it's a matter of, um, you know, being conscious of our decisions and where they come from. Um, I think that really kind of ties into the whole concept of like cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a method of therapy where um, a person becomes aware of their triggers, becomes aware of um, their decisions, what decisions they're making and, and whatnot. And then because you're constantly checking in with yourself, like, oh, why did I make this decision? Did that come did that, did that come from like a healthy place or a maladaptive behavior or whatever you're constantly checking in. So if you can tie that back in, you realize it's happening, tie it back into like why you made that decision, then you can actually change that decision. Mm -hmm. You can do something different, you know, but first you have to actually be aware of it. That's the hard part is like actually being aware of it in the first place. And that's why they call it the work. And you know, hearing your story and other stories that are here on the Life Chat series, it can, it, it, it's a lot of work. Yeah, it's tiring. It can be very If tiring. you had to do it again, would you do it again? Of course. Of course. It's, because it's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I look back and um, I may have said this in a previous episode. I don't remember. But um, I look back now at like pre-2019, Emma, and I'm like, she was, she was starting to learn. But like, it was like I was asleep. Mm-hmm. I was on autopilot. So much of what I was doing was really on autopilot. I feel like my eyes have opened in a lot of ways. And you know what? I'm sure in five years, I'll look back at this time and be like, oh man, there was so much she needed to learn. Like she was so asleep. So I think it's just an ongoing process that we have to kind of um, take on. It, it's rewarding though, to, to feel that growth, to see those shifts. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And when you, when you like, not to like poo poo other people, everybody's on their own journey, but you know, when you start, when you start doing that work and like you start doing a deep dive into yourself and you begin taking responsibility for your own decisions and actions and mistakes that you've made, um, you look around and you see a lot of people behaving on autopilot and making the same mistakes again and again. And it can be really hard to stay friends yeah. With with people like that, you kind of sometimes have to let them go with love because they're they're stuck in a loop. There's nothing you can do, you know. And a lot of times, um, a lot of times, I think people find comfort in the known, even when the known is unhealthy. Yeah. Um, and people get stuck in their own stories of, you know, their sometimes like their sense of victimhood or or whatever. So, you know, a lot of people will will play out the victim. Um, mentality and just repeat the same mistakes again and again, because like, that's their identity. It can be really hard to maintain any sort of meaningful, meaningful friendship. I mean, your friendships become superficial because you realize like your energy is 
being drained. You can't, you can't save this person. They have to do it for themselves. So yeah. I'm so grateful for you and, you know, yeah, we've, we've grown so much together. Joe and I were just having a conversation this morning about exactly what you were talking about, seeing people still in the same loop and seeing people play out the same, we'll say program. Uh, And, and I was, I was like, why is it so hard for people to change? And we got talking about the ego, like the ego wants to protect you. And in order for you to change, you have to turn that lens on yourself. And like what you did, how how was I the cause of this? What was my role? What is my responsibility in that? And that takes so much vulnerability. Yeah, it does. For me, there was almost like no other option though, because it was so painful. Right. But the thought of like, my God, if I don't figure out why this happened, like, I don't want to go through this again. Yeah. But that's why you, you look at like, I've really seen you commit to the work now because of going through that. And so many people, whether it's a a life uh, threatened or an accident or lose your job or divorce, something that like shakes up your entire reality. COVID did that a lot for a lot of people as well until you're, you're, and I do believe the universe will knock on your door a couple of times, but it'll hit you over the face if you don't listen enough. That's, that's exactly what happened with me. Like I, I didn't listen to the lessons that I was being presented with for so long. I had to be hit in the face with it. Like that's really what it felt like. And it felt that way doubly so because as we talked about on that previous episode like I had this huge high of realizing like my potential and how much I was holding myself back and you know all like whoa my my mind just completely was blown that day and I felt this incredible rush of like excitement and energy and like creative energy I it was like the universe's creative energy like flowing through me it was so incredible only to be followed by like the worst months of my life. Worst, you know, I would not trade it. There was so many silver linings and obviously so many realizations and, and growth that came, but I almost feel like those two things had to happen back to back for me to really feel that contrast mm. and to really be hit in the face with it. Yeah. So I'm grateful. I mean, I wouldn't have had the realizations I've had and I wouldn't be here without that. I mean, there, there's that saying, what is it? Um, there is no growth without discomfort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Change happens outside your comfort zone. All those. Yeah. Yeah. You, we, we, we have to turn pain into growth. I think that's, that's what it's really for. Yeah. I've, I've learned to really lean into contrast. It's, it's there for a reason. It's, I've, it's interesting, like the past year, I realized, wow, like I'm meant to feel joy. I'm meant to feel fulfilled. Like we were brought up in this world of darkness and uh, you need to struggle and this hustle culture and it's, it's hard to do this and you need to suffer for that. No, you don't need to. If you're recognizing the warning signs and the red flags soon enough of that small discomfort. And I look at it like lowering my pain threshold. not tolerating as much as I did. And I've seen you do that as well. As soon as you notice you're outside of that ideal state, that higher self that you want to live in, it's like, oh, what's going on here? How can I recognize the shift that I need to make? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, it's such a, it's such a process. Like that awareness is such a process. Yeah. Right. It's, it's been a journey. Yes. Wonderful. My friend. we're going to come back on part four. Uh, I want to dive more into programming, um, conscious, subconscious. You have some great examples of doing the work in the moment, you know, with your new bow of like 
about to react one way and then catching yourself or seeing yourself play out an old program, which is how you really change. Change happens in the moment where you can have that conscious awareness of almost like a third party objective. Yeah. Or it's like you zoom out, you're like, whoa, this is happening. Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. So we're gonna we're gonna come back for that. So stay tuned for part four. Thank you for joining me on this episode today. My website, simplysarah.com is a great place for me to continue to support you on your journey to alignment, joy, and fulfillment. There you will find upcoming retreats that I am hosting, resources, books, and many other helpful tools to help you on your travels through this thing called life.